All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Everybody's good. This section's good. Thank you. Good. Uh, glad that you're here visiting with us. Thanks for being here this weekend. I think we're going to be giving back to God. And so if you are visiting with us, you're not part of the SCG family, don't worry about this. This is uh, uh, kind of something we do as part of our, our worship. So here's what I want to do to start off today is I want to get you guys thinking, get you guys talking a little bit. And so I thought we would do a little uh, exercise called brand association. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a brand, uh, a store brand or clothing brand or something like that. And then you're going to tell the person next to you the type of person that you think best represents this brand. Okay, so it can either be someone that you know, or it can be a type of person. It can, you can tell them, uh, here's the life stage, here's kind of what they're into, here's their whatever. Okay, all right, here we go. So uh, I'm going to give you one. You're going to tell the person next to you. Ready? The first brand is Nordstrom. Nordstrom. Okay, so tell them right next to you real quick. Nordstrom. What is the, either the type of person that you think of? Maybe there's a specific person. All right. So what do you got? Let me hear. If you're not too shy, let's hear what you got. What do you got? Wait, wait, wait. I heard someone. Hold on. What? Mom's my mom. So what's funny is that's every service in a row I've heard. Your mom. Um, which is the only time it's appropriate for you to say that, I guess, is your mom. Uh, okay. Uh, who I heard over here, what, what I hear over here? Travis. Okay, the high school pastor, apparently. He goes to North Trump, too. I don't know. Um, okay, uh, okay, how about this? Uh, let's go with Legos. All right, so tell them Legos. Who is the person? What are they, what are they into? What do they like? Okay, so this one's really easy, right? This one's easy. So go ahead and tell me who is it? Kids, right? Kids, kids, mostly kids. Some adults haven't gotten over it, but kids. Okay. Okay, this one, Rolex. When you hear a Rolex, who is the first type of person that comes into your mind? Rolex. Who is it? Rich people, all right. It's pretty expensive. What else? Wedding presents, is that what I heard? Oh, man, where were you at my wedding? All right. Wedding, okay. Anybody else? Tennis? Did I heard tennis? Uh, is that, I think they're a sponsor or something, so people are into tennis, I guess. Okay. Uh, oh, here we go. Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. Who, who best represents Trader Joe's? Trader Joe's. I'm interested to hear uh, what you guys think. Who represents Trader Joe's? Your mom. Okay. Yes. You. Okay, good. All right, what else? Who else? Give me a type of person. Yes, thank you. Hippies. Okay, good. Hippies. Right on. Very cool. And the hippies were clapping about it. They're like, yes, we are. Yes, we are. Okay, anybody else? You have anything to add to it? Healthy people. Okay, healthy people. Anybody over here want to give one? No? You guys just try to sneak in and just avoid conversation. That's fine. I get it. I'll avoid you guys. Okay. I think of like hemp. I don't know why. I feel like they're probably wearing some type of hemp when they go in there. You know, I don't know. There's sandals for sure. Um, granola, something. I don't know. That's just that type of person. Okay, last one. Here we go. Last one is, uh, oh, this one, you may not know the brand, but for those who do, Patagonia. Patagonia, okay? So that is an outdoors apparel, all right? Outdoor apparel, Patagonia. Who is it that you think of when you think of Patagonia? Who do you guys think of over here? Granolas again. So the people who are at Trader Joe's, just they wore Patagonia. Okay. All right. Sailors. Sailors. Okay. I didn't, I haven't heard that one yet. All right. Camping. So campers. 
East Coast college students. That's very specific. That is very specific. Okay. <laughs> uh, anybody else? Adventurer, Shane Igo. Okay. He goes here. Don't worry about it. Okay. Uh, what's interesting about the last one is... I have heard two different responses. So in the, uh, a couple services, I heard a lot about camping and granola and people like that. But then I also heard, and maybe you shouted this out, um, hipsters and people like that. And so what's funny is uh, there are two types of people that buy this brand. And if you don't know the brand, uh, it's an outdoorsy uh, apparel, but they had this warranty Lifetime warranty that if you bought something, it doesn't matter how long you've had it for, you can send it back and get a brand new one. And so you pretty much had like a lifetime jacket or whatever, and they're very expensive. And so the two types of people that bought them were the people who were really into outdoors, and then the people who wanted everybody to think that they were really into outdoors, and they called them the Pataguchis. <laughs> so maybe those are your East Coast college students, I don't know. Uh, anyway, so... These companies and all companies, they spend a ton of money and time trying to represent who they are to the public, specifically to their target audience. They want to represent their values, their beliefs, what they're into. And so they will, uh, they will host events, they will support causes. And one of the ways that they do this is um, by highlighting people. So if you look at any kind of marketing ad, you will see, at least for major brands, that one of the primary ways that they market is through their celebrities or their athletes. It's because they understand that whoever they put out in front is going to represent their company, all right? That, that is the type of person that we want to target to, and that's a, who we believe that we are. And so if you look at some of the most successful brands, uh, take like a Nike, for example, Nike had this shoe line, still does, most successful shoe line of all time, and it is the Michael Jordan shoe line, right? And it's because everybody who plays basketball, they think, when I go to 24-hour fitness and I pick, do a pickup game, if I'm wearing Michael Jordan shoes, a little piece of you goes, I sort of play like Michael Jordan, right? I mean, that's sort of me, you know? That's a, and if you, like, if you really understand you don't know how to play basketball, you're not trying, you'll wear the Kobe's. But if you really think that you play basketball, <laughs> you'll wear the, sorry. But it's also the reason why people, um, or, or why brands will, as soon as a celebrity or an athlete, if their life goes off the rails, they will cut off all of their endorsements immediately. Because they know that this is a representative of who we are, and we don't want to be associated with a liar or a cheater. We want to be people who are, a, uh, are winners. And so endorsements are out the window as soon as some kind of scandal or whatever is revealed. And here's what they understand, and here's what I think we need to understand, is that people associate with brands who represents them. And so this is true of brands, but it's also true of faith is if we think about our own faith and those of us who claim that we are Christians, when we walk around and people know that either we go to church or we believe these certain things, when they look at us, they say, that's what Christianity is. In fact, they see us as a representative of the faith. When they see us, they see Jesus. So they're probably not going to be familiar with the Bible. If they are, they, they don't know too, too much about it on, for the most part. And so the only thing that they know about the faith is whatever you show them. And the scripture that we're going to look at today is going to tell us just that, is that we are representatives of Christ to the world. So what I wanted to do really quick to see if we can make this really practical and uh, I think maybe visualize what we're talking about here is, uh, if we are Jesus to all of our friends and all of our family and to the rest of the world, my question is, what does Jesus look like to them? 
Okay, so we're representatives of Jesus. So what does Jesus look like to them? What are they seeing? And so a really easy way to do this is if we just took some popular like Instagram and Facebook photos, and then we just put Jesus on them instead. Okay, and so this is what people are seeing when they think about Christ because they're looking at us. So first picture I, I, I found uh, is this is Jesus, and uh, he says, I don't just turn water into wine, and he's popping bottles, all right? All right, all right, next one. Uh, this one is Jesus, and he's got lots of money, and he says, I'm not just about my father's business, which is funny because it's in the Bible, but you didn't know that because you don't read the Bible. Okay, this would be funnier if you guys read the Bible. All right, here we go. Uh, save your selfie, my favorite one so far. Save your selfie. Just kidding. Okay. All right. Last one. Oh, I like, I like a swollen savior. It says, tables ain't going to flip themselves. <laughs> and I think there's one more, and it's just a, uh, it's hashtag blessed because he's got a new ride. And so it might be blasphemous. I understand. Um, but I think it's a good way for us to visualize what people see when they see Christians is if we represent Christ, and this is how we are representing ourselves, this is who they think that Jesus is. And Paul says the very same thing in 2 Corinthians. If you're not a Bible person, 2 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul, and Paul was the guy who went around and he planted a bunch of churches, and he kind of helped people understand uh, the theology of what Jesus did in his life, his ministry, and resurrection. And so he would write these letters to different churches, and he would explain, them, uh, explain to them, here's what it means to be a Christ follower. Here's what happened on the cross. Here's what happened when he resurrected. And, and depending on what was happening and what church he was writing to, he would address some of the issues that they were encountering. And so this church in Corinth was experiencing um, a, 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 an inf infiltration of immorality in their church because they lived in a place that was full of sexual immorality. So if you were going to apply, uh, apply it to kind of our context, it would be the Vegas of, uh, of his day. I think the original saying, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, that's actually from there. We adopted it for, uh, for us. But it's also a commercial center, and so lots of people, smart people would come in, they'd want to make money, and so all, these, all the intelligent folks would gather in these major cities, kind of like in Los Angeles and New York. And so they were really smart Christians, they were understanding theology, but they weren't really living it out. And so Paul writes them a letter, and he goes, listen, it's great that you guys know theology, and it's great that you're thinking so much, but... You need to live this stuff out. And so he actually ends up rebuking them in one passage, and we won't go through it today, but it is crazy. It is like Jerry Springer times 10, the stuff that they're dealing with. And he rebukes them, and he says, look, this is what it looks like to live as a Christian, especially one that is surrounded by chaos. So here's what he says, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was recon reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ, and here's our word, ambassadors, or that also could uh, be translated as representatives, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so here's what's happening is, First thing that we probably notice is that we, who call ourselves Christians, are referred to as ambassadors. And this really, and we're going to dissect what this means, but what, what Paul is saying here is really the same thing that happens throughout the Bible, is that God communicates to the world primarily through people. We want God to give us like some crazy, like, I want to hear his voice, or I want some writing in the sky, or I want, I want him to speak to me like that. 
And you may have one of those moments in your life. I haven't had one yet, but you might. But the primary way that God communicates to the world and to us is through people. And this, this has taken place from the beginning. If we look at the Old Testament, um, God said, all right, I'm going to communicate to the world who I am. I'm going to bless the entire world, but the way that I'm going to do it is I'm going to raise up this group of people, this nation called Israel. And I'm going to communicate to them. I'm going to send them prophets, and I'm going to guide them, and they're going to be totally different than the culture that's around them. That's why they had, like, if you've ever read in the, like, Leviticus and stuff like that, it gets really weird, where they have all these laws, and you're like, what are all these laws? What does this have to do with anything? Like, dietary laws and sacrimonial laws, and, and you go, what is, why do they have it? Because God was trying to say, look, I want you to be different than all the other nations. I want them to look at you and say, there's something different about them, because there's something different about their God. And he wanted to reveal himself through these people to the rest of the world. And he did so. And then, fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus arrives on the scene and God goes, I'm not just going to communicate through people, I'm going to become a person and I'm going to communicate to the world. And then when Jesus leaves, he says, now, uh, the way that I'm going to communicate from here on out is going to be through you, the church. You are the ones that I'm going to bring change, hope, and reconciliation to the world. You're going to have this thing called the Holy Spirit, and it's going to come upon you, and it's going to help you communicate, and it's going to help you say what you need to say, but you are going to be the primary messengers to the world. And so I have a program that I've been laying out, this thing called Salvation History, and now I'm giving it to you for you guys to help accomplish. You guys are going to be my mouthpiece. You are going to be my messengers. Now, uh, Paul uses this word, ambassador. Ambassador, if you don't know what it is, it's a, I guess a simple way to explain it would be it's an official representative of one nation to another. And so ambassadors get sent by a nation to another nation, sometimes with a message, but they definitely have power and authority. They're representatives to this nation of here's what we value, here's what we believe, here's what we want you to know, and we'll we'll settle any differences that we, we may have. And it's a really powerful position. Because you have all the authority of your entire nation on your shoulders. You can go and say, look, it's not Cody says, it's America says. That's a, that's a lot of authority. That's a lot of power. And so you get to go into a foreign nation and say, look, um, I am speaking on behalf of my president or my king or my, and that's what he calls us to do. He says, you get to go out and you get to speak on behalf of Christ. And we see in the New Testament that uh, Jesus, when he shows up to was Saul, later becomes Paul, and he says to Paul, why are you persecuting me? Now, in this moment, Saul was probably thinking, what are you talking about? I've never even met you before. Because he was going around and he was killing Christians, but he had never had an, an interaction with Jesus. But what he was equating was, because you are persecuting my people, it's like you're persecuting me. See, he says that not only are we like representatives, but we are actually like speaking on behalf, like he's working through us. And so to reject the message that we deliver is rejecting his message. To hurt those whom he loves is like hurting him. And he says in Luke 10, uh, 10, 16, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. So what does it look like to be a great ambassador? And that's actually where we're going to come to for our series today. We've been in this series called Show and Tell, and I think that just encompasses what it looks like to be a great ambassador in the world for Christ, is we need to show people who Jesus is, and so that's about being an ambassador, and that's about representation, and then we need to tell them, and he gives us exactly what the message is. It's a message of reconciliation, that we need to be reconciled to God. So I want to start with the second one first, and then we'll come back to it. Tell, what do we tell them? Well, Paul says here that we have the ministry of reconciliation and we have been given the message to tell people that they must be reconciled 
to God. Now, reconciliation assumes something. It assumes alienation, that we as a people have been alienated from God, that somehow we were in a relationship with him, and now we are no longer in a relationship with him. And he points it out in here. He says the reason why is because of this thing called sin. Now, if you're not a church person, you've heard of sin before, and you think it's a, rule, uh, it's a bunch of rules, like a list of you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot do this. That's probably why you don't like to go to church. But that's not what the scripture says. Yeah, yeah, those are sinful things that you're doing. But at the heart of sin, what it really is, is that we are breaking God's law, that we are rebelling against him. We say, I don't want you to be in charge, God. I want to be in charge of my own life. I don't want to be accountable to you. I want to be autonomous. And so all of us in our enti- throughout our entire lives have said, God, we don't want you. Through every single little action of selfishness, where we fail to give God the, 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 the glory and the honor and the worship that is us and our sin, um, sinful nature. He also says in Romans that the consequence of this sin, which by the way, and we'll talk about it in a moment, is something we inherited. And we've talked about this before, but it's something that is just natural to us. You don't have to learn how to do this. You know how to do this. It is why you cannot do the things that you just so desperately know that you should do and yet you don't. And it's why my kids drive me crazy. And it's all of those things because of this thing called sin. And Paul says they consequence of having this sin is death. Now, what is exactly going to die here? I don't know. I mean, I know it talks about physical death, right? We all have experienced physical death. We're all on our way there to some degree or another. In fact, the entire universe is dying. Scientists tell us that this thing is winding down, that it will not last forever. And so we live in a universe that is dying. We live in a world that is dying. We live in bodies that are dying. Even inanimate objects, they're dying. They're decaying. Your house will not last forever. Your car will not always be there. In fact, if you leave it for long enough, it will be gone. Why? Because that's the universe that we live in. And so the, the problem is that we all are in a universe and we all are people who feel the consequences of sin. And so this is the human dilemma, according to Paul and the rest of scripture. It says, you know, unless someone or something intervenes, we're all dying. But we're not just dying physically, we're dying spiritually as well. That this is just another symptom of what's happening in our souls. Is that what we see physically is also happening spiritually. And so there is some kind of death that is coming. This death may be eternal separation from God. We don't exactly know, but something's going to die. So Paul says we have to be reconciled to God. It is the only way in which we'll experience life. And he says the way that that is going to happen is going to be through this person Jesus Christ. There's not going to be enough good things you're going to do. You're not going to get enough willpower. You're not going to impress God enough where he's going to go, okay, I'm going to bring it. No, 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 no. It's only through the person of Jesus Christ. And the scripture explains that this is possible because Jesus comes and he lives the life that we should have lived. Perfect, obedient to the Father. And the reward that he deserved for living that life instead trades it for the punishment that we deserve. And so now we get his reward and he gets our punishment. He trades us places. Now, I've said, and this is, and I've tried to rephrase the gospel a thousand times because I think that's kind of why um, I'm here and that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and once in a while, I'm like, how does this, how did we make this click? And I'm always trying to come up with it. And then last week, a new illustration came into my mind about how would we make sense of the gospel. And I, it happened 10 years ago, which is weird why it would come to me now. But here's the illustration. 10 years ago, um, we had the opportunity as a church to build orphanages in northern um, Uganda in Africa because there was a war that was happening. Child soldiers, the kids were being taken out from their families in the middle of the night, made into slaves and soldiers, and they would have to do horrendous things. Like right away, they would have to kill their own parents, 
just to begin to desensitize them to death and to killing. And so we went there to um, go and support, and I heard stories about what was happening there, and this is before it was all over the media and before the Joseph Coney thing and all that stuff, and, and I began to realize that there was, this weird, there was this weird place that these kids were in, because on one hand, they were slaves, because they had been captured and they'd been taken, and they could not get away even if they wanted to. But then on the other hand, they were soldiers. They were out there killing people. And so they had this weird problem between being slaves and being soldiers. And some people decided, we can't stand for this. We cannot let this just happen. We need to go out there. We need to rescue these children. And these people were in a very strange spot because as they're going to rescue the slaves, the slaves are the ones that are trying to kill them. So the very people that they're going to save are the ones that are trying to kill them. I said, well, that's, that's kind of the gospel message. That's kind of what the Bible is all about. See, the Bible is saying that we are slaves, that we're born into this slave mentality of sin in which we know we should do certain things, but we don't do them. That is that, that, is that slave uh, mentality that we have. It's a part of our human nature. And yet, at the same time, it's not like we don't choose to do these certain things, that we have rebelled against God. Even though we were made slaves, at the same time, we're rebelling against God and continuing to reject him. And the only way that we can be saved is if someone comes and rescues us, even if they die in the process. That's Jesus. If you go, uh, we got to meet with some of the kids when we were there, and some of the craziest things were happening is, is these kids, when they were in the bush and they were having to live um, this crazy lifestyle, um, some of them decided, I'm going to stay. Some of them decided that I'm going to leave. Because they had a choice. They could continue to be a victim or they could be, they could admit that they're a victim or they could be the villain. Some of them grow up to be generals in this army and they continue to be the villain. They continue to fight. Yes, they were born into slavery, but they chose to continue on. And yet, some of them said, we need rescuing. Please come save us. We can't do this on our own. And that is really the choice that all of us have is do we continue to be a villain and rebel against God no matter how we got here or do we say, you know what, I'm a victim and I cannot save myself. I can't do this. I need somebody to rescue me. So this, um, this week I heard about uh, an atheist, and I love listening and wrestling with what atheists have to say because I think it, those are the people that challenge me the most in my own faith. And one atheist was talking about how Christians go out and evangelize. And you would think that his opinion would be, oh, it's so annoying. I just wish they would stop trying to give me their opinion. And he said, you know, I am insulted if I know that someone is a Christian and they don't try to convert me. Because they're either one of two things. Either they don't actually believe what they say they believe, which makes them a liar, or they believe it and they are happy watching me go to hell. I said, okay, yeah. And that, I mean, that's really the only two options, right? He goes, if you're not trying to convert me, you're either a liar or you hate me. I want you to try to convert me. I don't believe anything you have to say, but if you're not doing it, I'm insulted. If you, uh, last week we shared with you guys the passing of uh, one of our extended family members, Nabil, and I was thinking this week about that and, you know, wrestling with it, and I thought about the first time that him and I had dinner. And the first time him and I had dinner, I, I'd seen him speak, and, and, you know, I loved what he had to say, but I went, oh, I wonder what he's like in person. He is just as intense in person as he is on, uh, when he speaks. We sat down for dinner, and he is just intense, and he is focused, and, and we're talking about life. And I said, you know, what's something that you would love to do? He says, you know, one of the things that I would love to do is I would love to go to the Middle East and share the gospel. I said, Nabil, that's a bad idea, okay? 
Because like you are someone who deconverted from Islam. And so they, when they hear that, are going to want to try and kill you. And his response was, yeah, so what? So what? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, like, I got a next-door neighbor who, like, I'm totally going to have a conversation with. And it might be awkward. So, like, I totally get it. I get it. We're on the same page right now. You know, like, you, not afraid of death, me, you know, awkward silence. I could do it. We're on the, like, it's the same. Because he understood the message. He understood the importance of it. And his life was so focused on this that he says, you know what? I don't care if I die for this faith. I have to tell people about this Jesus. Part two is this, and I'm I'm going to try to be quick, is we have to show people. We have to show people who Christ is. When they meet us, they should see Jesus. If you think about who Jesus is, he's probably, he is the most studied person in all of human history. There's so many facets to him, and it can be incredibly complicated, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life just trying to figure out who Jesus is. But here's the good news. He gives us a principle, or he gives us an overarching goal, and he says, "Um, if you're going to represent me, here is the thing that you need to do, all right? This is what everything is based on. Here's how I want to be represented while I'm gone. He says in John 13, 34, he's talking to the disciples. This is right before he's about to be crucified, and he knows it, and he says, guys, we've, I've taught you a ton of stuff. You've seen a ton of stuff, but here's the thing that you focus. You got to remember this, okay? You ready? Here's what I need you to know. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, at first, the disciples are probably going, that's not new. We've heard that before. That's in the Old Testament, remember? Love your neighbor, remember that? In fact, that's not even new. That's in every religion. It's called the golden rule, but I'm not telling them, all right, Jesus, whatever, yeah, I got it. He goes, no, 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 listen carefully, listen carefully, because it's not. It's different. All the other ones say, you know, treat people the way that you want to be treated. That's not what I said. What I said is, I want you to go out there And I want you to love people the way that I have loved you. Now, how did Jesus love them? Well, you got to understand the context in which this is all taking place. What's happening in this moment is right before this, um, the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest, which just seems like a very stupid discussion to have in front of the Messiah, right? It's just like, what? And they're arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus in this moment goes, ah, see, you haven't quite gotten it yet. You don't really understand what this is all about. You haven't figured out what I'm about, so let me use this as a teaching moment. And as they're arguing, he gets down on his hands and knees, and he begins to wash their feet. And he goes, ah, you've missed it. It's not who's the greatest, it's who's the least. If you want to truly love somebody, you have to become nothing. He says in Matthew 25 that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And God, and gave his life as a ransom for many. See, he says, I didn't come to be a big shot. I came to serve people. And you know the primary way in which we serve people is by giving of ourselves. That is what love actually, that's what Jesus defines love as. He says, love is sacrificial. Love is giving over yourself and saying, I'm, I, I, I will be nothing so that you are something. I think about uh, if this afternoon. Well, real quick, side comment. Uh, one of the ways that culture defines love is something that we trip over, I think. It's like, you know, because that's the terminology. We've fallen love. We've fallen out of love. It's like, oh, I didn't even see that coming. It hit me on the side of the head. This, no, no, no. That's not what love is. Love is giving of yourself. So let's imagine right after this, um, I tell Amy, hey, Amy, I want you to pick your favorite restaurant. I don't even care how expensive it is. I want you to go to wherever you want to go. She's like, okay, that's awesome. Like, okay, be ready at one o'clock. 
And so we, we go home. She's ready. She's all excited. She's like, okay, you know, she gets her makeup on. Oh, she's ready to go. And I go, okay, great, babe. Here's 50 bucks. Have an awesome lunch. <laughs> How would that go over, do you think? Right now, if she's like, hey, you watch the kids? I'm good with that. You know, that might be, she might be okay with it. But, but she, would be, uh, she would be upset. Why? Because it's not about the lunch. It's not about the meal. It's about giving yourself. I want to give you my time and my energy because that's what's most important. Yeah, a great meal, it's awesome. But if I'm eating by myself, it's not as good. Because true love or what love truly is is sacrifice. It's giving yourself to someone else. This is something that uh, is not natural to any of us. And as a pastor, when I prepare for messages, um, God, I think, has a sense of humor because Almost every time I'm prepping, God goes, oh, I'm going to give you some great opportunities to practice what you're going to preach. You know, I'm just going to, oh, we're going to see how you do. And so this last week, I had a couple of those moments. We were trying to transition our youngest, Ezra, from being in a crib to being in a bed, and it is going horrible. And so for the last week, um, it takes about an hour, two hours to finally get him to sleep. And this, this week, he's gotten up every night. And one night this week, I wake up, and I look over and he is standing at the side of the bed, like this, staring at me, eating Cheez-Its. I'm like, whoa, dude, what's up, bro? What's, what's going on, man? And I'm like totally creeped out, obviously. But then I'm impressed, because I'm like, where'd you get the bowl from, first of all? Where'd you get the Cheez-Its from? And why are all the lights on in the house? You know, like, that's really impressive. You, you're like a little genius, aren't you? And a creeper, but a genius. And another one, like uh, two nights ago, where I woke up and he was laying next to me with a phone. He got his mom's phone somehow, found YouTube, was watching YouTube, like, <laughs> like, dude, what are you doing? It's 3.30 in the morning, and why are you here? Um, but my wife, she's very pregnant right now. And so every night when this happens, and he is doing circles in the house at 3.30, she looks over and goes, you're up. Okay, Lord, thank you for this opportunity for me to sacrificially love my child, even though I want to hurt him in this moment, right? <laughs> and it's not natural to any of us. It is not something that I jump up and go, woohoo, I get another opportunity to serve today. No, 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 no. It's something that I have to be intentional about. It's something that I have to teach myself, and I'm going to have to teach my children because everything wants to make my life about me. Every natural inclination that I have is, Cody, you are the most important. You need to figure out what you want, and you need to go after those things. And yet Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not it. So when I was little, my youngest memory is of being on a mission trip with my parents. I was four years old, and I was playing with all the local kids. And in fact, they got pneumonia because it was kind of grimy, and it was dirty. And, and, uh, and every year after that, my parents would take me on some kind of trip somewhere to a third-world country. And I realize now what they were doing is they were trying to instill in me this idea that, Cody, you're not the point. The rest of the world does not look like your world. You're going to have to be taught to serve and to care for those outside of your family or outside of those that you have any kind of relationship with. And so when I think about my own kids, I mean, I have already decided, oh, we're getting those kids out there as quickly as possible. They're going with us to whatever country we're going to. People go, whoa, whoa, that's kind of dangerous. Like, aren't you scared? And I go, I am far more scared of the danger of them staying here and thinking their life is about them and that they get to be served their entire life. That's far more dangerous than whatever they're going to encounter out there. And so as Christians, it's not something where we're going to go, okay, God, make me sacrificial today. Boom. 
No, 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 no. It's going to be hard work. It's going to be intentional. It's going to be moments when we have to preach to ourselves. So when we look at, um, when we look at Christianity and the last 2,000 years of how it has impacted the world, um, we begin to see that Christianity has literally turned the world upside down. Is in the first, second, third centuries, we have these incredible examples of sacrificial love. There was these plagues that hit the Roman Empire, wiping out tens of thousands of people. And all the rich people, when these plagues would hit, they realized that um, it was through contact that they would be uh, transmitted. And so they would just take off rich people, priests, everybody is gone. Even family members, when their family got sick, they'd just throw them in the streets and go, look, we can't deal with this. And Christians came in and they would say, you know what, we'll take them. We'll take them. But you might get sick, but you might get hurt, but you might die. And they go, that's okay, we'll, we'll take them. And this actually ended up being the thing that transformed the world. Within 300 years, Christians went from the group that was being persecuted to the group that now uh, dominated the entire region. Within 300 years. How did this happen? Was it because they had power, because they had influence? No, no, no. It's because they said, you know, Jesus said that we're supposed to love each other and like sacrifice for one another. And so like, we're just going to do that. And then people started to notice and go, whoa, these guys are different. I mean, everybody else is, is gone, even my own family members, and yet these people have stayed. And so the people who got well became Christians, and the people watching what happened, they go, well, they're not even afraid of death, and I want a piece of that. Oh, I want to become a Christian. And it began to transform the world, and the same thing has happened ever since. If you go to any third world country right now, I am willing to bet that if there is a, a hospital, if there is a school, uh, if there is an organization that's there feeding that they will be a Christian organization. I've been all around the world, and I've, all, I've never seen, uh, and this is no, no bashing on them, but I've never seen, like, you know, um, I'm secular and I'm here to help. I've never seen that. It's because it's always Christians, because they have a motivation that is beyond making themselves feel good, because that won't last. They go, you know what? We serve a God who has loved us sacrificially, and then he said, I want you to represent me well, so I want you to go out there and love sacrificially, and then, you know, if it all goes south and Something bad happens, and it all, that's okay. This is just the beginning. He's promised me something far greater than this life, and so I'm willing to give up this momentary happiness so that I can experience that, because that's what he gave me. If you go to anywhere in the United States, you'll see. They try to hide it in a corner sometimes, but you go and you look at the hospital, and you go, oh, you know who planted this? Christians. Why? Because Christians took this serious. And so oftentimes we talk about politics and, oh, you know, Christianity and, you know, it's losing its influence and things like that. You know why it's losing its influence? Because we, we stop doing this. We stop going, you know, I should just love sacrificially, and I think people just will be attracted to it and go, I want to be a part of what they're doing. I strongly believe that either life is totally chaotic and random and makes no sense, or that God is in control, and the things that seem random are totally within his, his providence. That he understands, and even when it doesn't make sense to me, he's got a plan for it. And so if that is true, I have come to the conclusion that all the people and the resources that I have in my life, although may seem so random to me, God has placed them. And so I call people providential people. Is they're not there by accident. They may not realize it, and I may not realize it, but God has placed them as my next-door neighbors, as my coworkers, as the person that I see at the coffee shop. These are not just random interactions. These are providential people that God has put in my life. And so what if we began to look at these people and we began to look at our resources and say, you know, I'm an empty nester. I can, I can foster a couple kids. I got a couple extra bucks. I can help support this. I, I would love to volunteer. 
What if we started looking at our resources and people and going, you know, I don't think it's an accident. If I just show them some sacrificial love, they're going to see Jesus. And when they see that, they're going to like what they see. And that's the way that we can continue to change the world. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for, we thank you for Seacoast and, and for your church and for your people. And uh, I will confess in my own mind that oftentimes I get uh, things so twisted and mixed up and I, you know, I'm thinking about life and I'm thinking about uh, all the crazy, and, I, and I'm just reminded, I got to get back to the basics. And you just laid it out for us, plain and simple. We're going to go there, we're going to represent you well, and we're going to do it by just sacrificially loving people. And so, Lord God, give us opportunities as we uh, leave here today to love on some folks, even in the simplest things like a smile and opening a door to maybe some profound moments, some life-changing moments in which we get to love some folks. And so, Lord God, I I pray that you would open those doors, that you would help us to see those things and take advantage of them so that we can be good ambassadors for you. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen.